0: Good afternoon, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from the Old Testament in the book of First Samuel, uh, chapter eighteen, verses six through nine. It's from the first Samuel, chapter eighteen, verses six through nine. Please rise with me for the reading of God's Word. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept the jealous eye on David. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hello, everybody. It's good to see you. And I just want to say before I begin, um, we go through a lot of liturgy, meaning we have a lot of elements in our worship service. And sometimes we may not know exactly why we do certain things, but I wanted to share with you why we pass the peace. Passing of the peace isn't just to greet somebody. Even though greeting someone is great, it's awesome. It's nice to see a friendly face or a familiar face, It's nice to see new faces. But here's something that we might not realize. That person next to you, across from you, in front of you, behind you, they may be going through an intense battle in their lives. And they may not be able to share with anybody. And when we pass the peace in faith, what we are saying is, I want to pass the peace of Christ to you, which is more than I can give. I want to give you a bigger peace than the world can offer. And that's why I pass the peace of Christ unto you, my sister, my brother. And then you say a little prayer. Because we don't know what they're facing. We don't know exactly what they're going through but we know God does. And I want to encourage you, my brothers and my sister, God knows what you're going through. And he wants to give you peace. And he is giving us peace through his son, Jesus Christ, today. With that being said, I hope that you have peace, especially if you're single, today. For today is Valentine's Day. And... Because it's Valentine's Day, our topic is very aptly lust. I mean envy, envy, <laughs> right? And we have been going through a sermon series which we started on Wednesday. And Wednesday we talked about pride and the next big deadly sin is envy. Instead of calling it a, de- a deadly sin, we decided to call it a killjoy. All sin is deadly, not just seven. It's not Catholic, like some of you may think. The, the notion of deadly sin was before even the Protestant Reformation. Just like Lent is not Catholic, just like some of you may think, Lent was way before the Catholic Church. And so, even from the very beginning. And so, I've heard some comments, what do you guys just pick and choose what you want to do? How is that biblical? And my response to that is, there is freedom in Christ, have peace. (laughs) There is freedom in Christ, you guys. And if we have something that is good, then we take it to glorify God, then I know he is pleased. Um, I I really uh, admired um, one talk show host. He recently retired. His name was David Letterman. He's been taken over by... um, Stephen Colbert. It was fantastic. He was doing a phenomenal job. But David Letterman did have something that was really nice that I wanted to just try uh, to start off today. He, he did the top 10 list. I don't know if you guys are familiar with David Letterman or the top 10 list. But when he did this, there was a drum roll for the, all, the whole top 10. It's a long drum roll. I asked our drummers, can you guys do a drum roll? They're very shy. But eventually I got one guy to do it. So as he comes and does the drum roll, can we give him a hand for doing this? All right. I wanted to help some single guys get some Christian game on today. And I have a top ten list for you guys. So whenever you're ready, Sam Wise. All right, number 10. Oh, it can't be too loud, right? Okay, there you go. Thank you. Number 10: come to Wednesday Night Bible study, because I put the stud in Bible study. that's OK. Number nine: I'm usually not very prophetic, but I can see you and I together. Number eight: Last night I was reading the book of numbers and I realized I didn't have yours. Number seven, my parents are home. Want to come over? Number six, do you want to be accountability partners? Number five, I know you want a knight in shining armor. Good thing I wear the full armor of God. Number four, now I know why Solomon had 700 wives. He never met you. Number three, is it hot in here? Or is the Holy Spirit burning inside of you? Number two, hey girl, I want some of that. And number one, is it a sin that you stole my heart? All right, here you go, yay, yay, yay. Thank you very much. All right. I really wanted to try out for his spot, but Stephen Colbert is better. Okay. But today is Valentine's Day. Uh, If you use any of those lines, then I'm sorry. It probably won't work. It was a joke for those that don't have a sense of humor. Um, But I saw in this one interesting ad um, by Hooters. And Hooters had this ad that if you go into Hooters today and you bring a picture of your ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend, you guys know about this? And you give it to them and you shred it in front of them, they'll give you a dozen wings for free. So I thought to myself, what a healthy way, both emotionally and physically, to spend Valentine's Day with bitterness and with hot sauce. (laughs) So I think we, as a people, we're always trying to figure out ways and how to handle things, aren't we? It's like we have something that comes and hits us, and we're trying to figure out how do we handle this? Why don't I take the most unhealthy way to do something and take a picture of my ex and then shred that so I can eat some wings? Anyway, um, but we are always trying to figure out things. And one way we can kind of figure out things is shed light on certain things. And especially during these seven weeks, this being the second, we want to shed light on envy, there are seven of these killjoys, or as traditionally known as deadly sins. But like I said, we don't want to say deadly sins because all sin is deadly. But they all, these seven killjoys, kind of are the root of many, many sins. They're the root of many sins that we face. They're pride, envy, anger, greed, sloth, gluttony, and lust. All sin is deadly. But these sins are deadly because it is a declaration that we desire something more than God. We are saying that when we sin, I desire this more than I desire you, God. And diagnosing these root behaviors will help us turn to what is good. Our only hope in sin is to turn to Christ and say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there is any grievous way in me, lead me to the way everlasting. John Owen says, Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. When we go over this sin of envy, Envy cries over other people's wealth. Envy cheers when others stumble. Envy weeps over those who rejoice and rejoices over those who weep. In Proverbs 14.30 it says, Envy makes the bones rot. Proverbs 27.4 Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before envy? So what is envy? Envy is a feeling of unhappiness at the blessing and fortune of others. In Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it says, It is the painful and often resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. Now, some people might ask, what's the difference between jealousy and envy then? It's important to know this. Jealousy is oriented toward what we possess. Envy is toward, oriented toward the possession of others. We are jealous for what we do not have. So sometimes it's not a sin. But we are envious for what others have. And that is always a sin covetousness and when we look at the 10 commandments the last one is thou shall not covet covetousness is an overwhelming desire for something that's not yours if you want to know an example of covetousness it's very easy just go to a baby we have many and go to a baby like enjoy something in front of them see if they don't want it they want it and then you can't give it to them see how they react Covetousness wants what the other guy has. Envy, then, is anger that the other guy has it. Covetousness is oriented towards your neighbor's possession, and envy is towards the man himself or the person themselves. Envy is similar to pride, that they're both rooted in the same vain conceit and selfish ambition. Pride looks down on others with a smug arrogance, and envy looks above with a chafing hatred. These are common features of the sin, a distorted and corrupted desire, a perverse comparison of oneself with others, ungodly preoccupation with the advantage of others, a smoldering anger at the blessings of others. This is what Brian Hedges wrote, that envy involves comparison, Criticizing, complaining, ingratitude, and hatred. But you know what, to be honest, we need more than definitions, don't we? We need a deeper unmasking of what envy is. So here it is, David just killed Goliath. This was a task that no one would undertake. Goliath was huge, and no one would even dare step onto the field against him. But David kills Goliath. The army returns to Jerusalem and the people come out from the cities to greet King Saul and the army, but the songs that the women are singing aren't just about King Saul. It's about King Saul and David. What's more is that the song elevates the young warrior over the accomplished king. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. The king thought it was a party for himself, only to be upstaged by this runt, this shepherd boy. Is David really the greater warrior? Did he really slay more enemies than me? Will the people really love and esteem him more? You know the story. What do you think the answer is? Don't we know already? Doesn't Saul know already? But he doesn't. The answer is no. He does not know. Everyone else knows, but he doesn't know. He grows bitter and resentful at what he believes, and he calls it injustice. It's not fair. They ascribe to David ten thousands, but they only have ascribed thousands to me is what he says. What more can he have now but the kingdom? Unhealthy rivalry turns to a deep, deep and deeper resentment, and resentment turns to envy. Who's he to get this adulation, this acclaim, this praise? Who's this guy? No, seriously, who's this guy? If he was from New York, he might have said that. But he might say, I should have that praise. I should get that praise. I should get that. This bitterness, resentment, and envy open the door. And we see this in 1 Samuel. It opens the door for demonic influence. Are you hearing me? Bitterness and envy opens the door for demonic influence For King Saul and a harmful spirit rushes in and oppresses his heart, his mind, and his soul. In his mind, all he can think about is David's downfall and how he can achieve that. In his soul, there is no peace. He saw that God's favor was on David Good things were happening to David. All I hear is David. And so what's the appropriate response? Of course, the appropriate response is to take a spear and try to pin him to the wall. And that was his response. While he was playing music, he was playing the guitar. Kenny was playing the guitar and all of a sudden I come out and take, take a spear and try to pin him against the wall. That, I don't know if it's so, inappropriate, so appropriate. But that's what King Saul does. does. Envy makes you erratic and irrational. You even try to get him to marry your daughter while you're plotting in verse 17. Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. How does that make any sense at all? Why don't I just give him my daughter because I hate him so much? David, on the other hand, shows humility when he responds, Who am I and who are my relatives? What are my father and his clan in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? Saul's story is showing you that when envy takes root in our hearts like all sin, when it takes root in your heart, your heart becomes fundamentally irrational. It'll make you do things that you don't understand why you really did it. But it'll make you do things that doesn't make any sense. You see the hand of God blessing someone in an obvious way, and you want to make that person your enemy. You know, the foolish thing here is that in many ways, you're trying to stop the hand of God. Don't you see that picture? God is blessing someone. And you're like, no, and whatever means possible, you're trying to either hold the hand of God back from blessing or you're trying to push the guy out of the way as if the hand of God could not reach a little further. Why would anyone do that then? Because envy is myopic. It focuses on the offense of the other person's success so that everything else takes a back seat. And eventually it spirals you down to despair and then destruction. So, when we talk about envy, we are also talking about a host of other sins that come from it envy, jealousy, covetousness, rivalry, resentment, malice, hatred, flattery, corrupt desire, smoldering anger, perverse comparison, a fixation on the blessings of others. That was all from just King Saul. How does envy operate? Well, number one, it follows success, just like night follows day. It follows by questions that you ask. What about me? Why not me? Number two, it operates close to home. It attacks our closest relationships first. You know, you don't resent the CEO, not usually at least, but usually you resent your immediate boss. What an idiot is what I hear a lot. What a fumbling, bungling dork. i probably add some expletives. When you talk about your boss, Joseph Heller wrote this, there is no disappointment so numbing as someone no better than you achieving more. Saul's envy was awoken when he brought David into his house. Why she get him as his boyfriend? And she's your friend. Number three: it involves mimetic desire. Mimetic comes from the word, the Greek word for imitation. It means triangular. That means there is a subject and an object. And then when another subject is introduced, they desire the object. That's where we get the love triangle. It means the object is desirable only because someone else desired it first. That's envy. You know who capitalizes on this? Advertisements. Last Sunday, very famous for advertisements. And I was looking at the trend. And wow, we have a lot of advertisements that we look forward to because a lot of them are hilarious. That um, monkey, puppy, baby thing and the Doritos commercials, they really drew a stir. And then I always asked, wow, there are a lot, and this is kind of like a family event for many people, a friend event. There are a lot of alcohol commercials, and I realized. The markets are saturated who, like, I asked the question, who doesn't drink beer in America? Who doesn't drink beer now, I should say, in America? Who doesn't drink beer? So I looked up some numbers. Advertising agencies for alcohol in general, in 1971, they spent a total of $9.3 million on alcohol advertisements million in 1971. In 2011, it is 542 million. And, of course, you have the nerd in the congregation that will always ask, what about inflation? All right, so I calculated inflation. The U.S. saw an average inflation rate of 4.36%. 9.3 million with 4.36% inflation is about 51 million. $51 $51 million compared to $542 million. That means in just a few decades, we put out more than 10 times the money into advertising in a already saturated market. And you have to start thinking. I, I enjoyed the puppy, puppy, monkey, baby thing, sure. But what is it that they are after? This past Super Bowl I saw Helen Mirren very famous actress award-winning actress say if you drive and if you drink and drive you're an idiot with a very nice accent Uh, she used a lot more adjectives than that and then I was like wow Budweiser would put out an ad to say don't drink and drive that's great and I wanted to look at it again so on YouTube I looked at it again and I always thought it was interesting, it's so classy, and yet the whole setting and backdrop to me was interesting. Before the ad begins, she's covered by a waiter, and he's giving her a burger, a plate of burger and fries, and she's about to enjoy her burger and fries, and then she looks in the camera and says, don't drink and drive. And I was thinking, why would you do that? Why can't you just go on and say, hey, guys, a lot of people are dying because you're drinking and driving. Don't drink and drive. But it's like a burger, fries. And I was hungry at the time, so I was focusing on the burger. And then she placed place her napkin and say, don't drink and drive. And then, so I was like, what is going on? In 2003, a study of U.S. accident data performed by the University of Toronto researchers uncovered a 41% increase in motor vehicle collisions in the hours following the Super Bowl. Death increase is 30%. This is just Super Bowl. Because of these ads, I have to wonder, and I looked up how many more young people are drinking Young people are under age of 15 are drinking more. The number of girls under 15 who have drunk, been drunk, the number of girls who have, under 15 who have been drunk rose from 26% to 41% between the years 2001 and 2010. For boys, the number went from 30% to 43%. A survey of U.S. high school seniors found that a fifth of them had reported binge drinking. And in U.S. standards, five drinks is considered binge drinking. Some of our college people are like, five drinks, that's, that's like an appetizer for me. But I'm telling you, it's not good. Our young people are looking at this and seeing what we aspire to. And what we covet and what we want and they also want it. And we have to ask ourselves, why do we want that? Why is it that when I see an advertisement, it is not that homeless man holding and clutching on to the bottle, but it is someone that we think is successful, that is healthy, that has lots of money holding on to the bottle? And it just makes us think. What's envy got to do with anything? It drives our advertising agency. Those images are poured into you. And then we become defensive. How do we battle this? Because envy assaults our closest relationships. It corrupts all our desires. We see the ugly face of envy, but what we need to see now is the glorious face of the opposite. You know, someone who had every right to fear and envy and compete wasn't Saul, but someone who had every reason to fear, envy, and compete was Jonathan because this was his future, this was his throne. But instead of resenting David's success, Jonathan admired him. Instead of wondering why God didn't show him favor that David had, he would get close to David and be his friend and companion. The songs of the women didn't produce malice and resentment for Jonathan. It produced love and admiration. And then what happens? Jonathan's Jonathan receives David's blessing as a blessing to himself. Instead of competing with David, he makes a covenant saying that we will be true brothers. A true friend. A true comrade. Where do you think Tolkien came up with the friendship for Frodo and Samwise? What do you think inspired the friendship of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis? The question is when someone is successful, are you their biggest fan or their biggest critic? Pastors and leaders, if another church is fruitful next to us, are we filled with joy or grumbling? If you are unmarried, when your friend gets engaged or married, are you genuinely happy for them or do you say, why did I get passed over again? To our professionals, when someone else gets that job or promotion, are you excited for them or are you resentful? If you're married and another couple goes on these vacations and you can't when they buy a car and you can't when they buy a house and you haven't yet, do you bless them or do you curse them? Moms and dads, what's your reaction when someone else's child succeeds, walks first, talks first, does better in school? Do you disparage the other parents behind them or do you encourage them? There was once a story told by Dale Moody and it's a fable about an eagle who was so envious that another eagle could fly better than he could. One day... The eagle saw a sportsman with a bow and arrow, and he said to him, I wish you would bring down that eagle up there. And the man said, He would, but he needs feathers for his arrow. So the envious eagle, the jealous eagle, pulled out one from his wing. The arrow was shot, but it didn't quite reach the mark. The bird was flying too high. The first eagle pulled out another feather, and then another feather, until he had lost so many that he couldn't fly. The archer took advantage of the situation, turned around, and killed the helpless bird. If you are envious of others, the one you will hurt the most by your actions is yourself. If we truly test ourselves, we all fall short. What hope do we have? What hope do we have? Who doesn't envy? Who doesn't get enticed by what they see on the advertisements? What hope do we have? And we have hope in the cross of Jesus Christ. In our worship service, we continually confess of our sins. And when we continually confess of our sins, we are saying we genuinely want to turn from these sins. So help me, God. And number two, grace is now what defines you. Not envy, not what you don't have. But don't you see when we receive Jesus Christ, the grace of God is upon you and he says to your heart, my grace is sufficient for you. What more do you lack then? He whispers over you and says, you are my beloved child and I am pleased with you. And lastly, because of this, we can have gratitude for not just our own blessings, but we are thankful for another person's blessings. This is a sign that God has placed in you a new heart. And when you look at other people's success, you say, praise God. I'm so thankful that you got that job, that promotion, that house, that you're getting married. I'm so thankful for you, sister. I'm so thankful for you, brother, because your blessing is my blessing. And you thank God because He has been so kind to them, but He's been so kind to me. During Ash Wednesday, people wondered why we administer ashes. And this is what was said while I administered ashes. From dust you came, and to dust you will return. So turn from sin and follow Christ. My brothers and sisters, life is so short. It's shorter when we are oppressed by envy turn from sin follow Christ and God offers you eternity in heaven but eternity with him the source not just the resource the source turn from sin and follow Christ let's take this time to pray And let's reflect on what was heard and the message that was proclaimed. That instead of Saul, that we would be like Jonathan. Imagine a church where we have Jonathans and Davids who truly love one another with the holiness of God in our lives. Saying, I want the best for you. And we lift each other up instead of tearing each other down. God, I want a heart like that. I want a heart like that. Let's reflect upon it in prayer and meditation and offer up our hearts and surrender to the Lord. Let's pray.